hey, why don't you pray with me? Just kind of bow your head for a moment and close your eyes. And I, I don't know, I don't know what kind of heart you brought with you today. I don't know what condition your heart is in today. Maybe you came and your heart's bursting full. It is like so full of gratitude to God. You're, you're, you're full of just the joy of God in your life, but maybe not. Maybe you're here and you're, your heart is just weighed down. There are circumstances and decisions to make and people in your life that have overwhelmed you or a job or something, and your, your heart is just heavy with weight. Or maybe your, your heart is just, it's hard. It's, God can hardly get to you today because you're calloused and covered and God wants to just break through you this morning and give you a word of hope and, and encouragement and peace. So in just a moment, why don't you just say, God, you know the condition of my heart. Just, would you just open me up a little bit today? I, I need you, God. I need, I need you God, to, to mold my heart today. God, that is what all of us need. We need a, a tender heart toward you. So today, would you speak into tender hearts today and remove the callousness, the barriers from you. Remove the, the worries and concerns right now. Just, God, just remove that stuff so that you could speak into our hearts, so that we'd receive what we need from you. We pray that, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, why don't you have a seat? Glad that you're here. I'm glad I'm here. I'm glad I'm here today. It's good to be here with you. Um, yeah, okay, so we're, uh, and if you don't, I'm Scott, so if you don't know me, haven't met me, if you've met me, I still don't know your name. Anyway, so I'm, I'm, working, at, <laughs> I'm working at that. I'll get there. Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, so we're launching into this series today, and it's uh, six questions that every church should ask. So aren't those like cool question marks up there? Like Orion like did almost all of that, and like the guy is like amazing, you know? I would have helped, but it involved the latter. Anyway, so I, uh, <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about six questions, and they're kind of the who, what, why, where, how, when sort of questions that have to do with kind of the, the nature of the church and what it's about, its mission and purpose and where it's going and all that kind of good stuff. And, uh, and I'm really looking forward to this series, and today we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, who, who are we. And I was thinking about that a little bit, I thought, you know, um, what if... What if uh, there was just a long table out in front of us here, and uh, on that table, we got these big scroll rolls of blueprints, and, and we rolled out these, these blueprints all across this, this huge expansive table, and it, it was the blueprints that God had for the church, and he, he just rolled them out in front of us, and we could look at God's blueprint for the church. And, and, what, if it was, and what if it was this church? What if it was this church? What if it was, what if it was hope? Covenant Church, and, and we're able to unroll these, 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 these blueprint scrolls, and we've rolled out to see what would we see on there? What would it be like? What is God's blueprint for this place? What does he want to do here? What is it that he is like so passionate about in this place? What does he want to have happen here 
at Hope Covenant Church. What would he do? What would he, what would he do? And, and what has he planned out for this place if we were to think about like the, the expansion of discipleship ministries for people and the, the helping of people who are hurting and in need or the, the just the coming together and gathering more people to worship or what would that be like if all of a sudden children were like everywhere and students were coming and jumping into the Word of God? What would, what would God's blueprint for this place look like? Wow. And, and, you know, this series is kind of a two-tiered thing. So that's a little secret. I'll let you in on that. But on the one hand, it's really questions about the church. Like, what are, what are six questions that every church should ask? But when we ask those questions about the church, what, what questions should the church ask? We're also asking, what questions does God have for me? What are the questions that God wants to ask me about my life and about my relationship to God's church? So it's kind of a two-tiered deal. So I want want to, before we kind of launch in, I want to read um, a passage of Scripture to you. Because some years ago, I was in Israel. And when I was in Israel, I went to the, the, the prayer wall, which is amazing. And I was at the prayer wall, and then all these uh, Hebrew guys came walking through, Jewish guys, and they were kind of carrying this little platform. And on the platform was this sort of stanchion, this sort of standard thing. And, and uh, it was kind of ornate, and they were walking through. And as they walked through, everybody kind of stopped and was incredibly reverent. And they walked it through, and they were carrying the Torah, the, the Hebrew Old Testament scriptures, you know, the first books. And they, they were walking whenever they're in, in synagogue or they're in the temple and they bring the Torah in and then they open it up and people are, people stand. People stand in reverence and awe just to hear, hear the word of God. And that's the way it's been all through history is when like when scripture is read, people stand. So I'm gonna ask you, would you stand as I read this scripture this morning? I think we have it up on the screen. It's one of my it's one of my favorite passages, but it comes out of the book of Colossians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that he hadn't been to and one that he hadn't founded. But he wanted to give them encouragement and keep them on the right track. And in Colossians, the first chapter, verse 15 through 23, it's a little bit long, but let's hear God's word this morning. The Son is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross." Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, 
and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Amen. Amen. Hey, you can have a seat. Um, you know, we, we, uh, I was thinking about this this week. We draw our identity a whole lot. We draw a lot of our identity from our family and from our parents. And I thought about that, and I thought, wow, you know, that's, uh, there's the good of that, and there's the not so good of that. And if you grew up in a family that was like a great family and had great parents, that's one thing. But if you grew up in a family that was challenging and dysfunctional and whacked out and all that kind of good stuff, it was really challenging. And uh, so I thought, well, you know what, first of all, um, I know that not everybody, you know, like is, uh, uh, you know, maybe you didn't even grow up with your biological parents. I get that. And, and, but you grew up with somebody. And you grew up with people that made an impression on you, whether they were foster parents or whoever they were. But uh, anyway, let's throw that picture up there. That is a heck of a good-looking group. All right, there you go. There's like uh, four out of five of those people are pretty good-looking. All right, anyway, so um, that is my family. So, uh, and uh, I wanted you to meet them. And uh, I'm going to do a little drawing and talk about them with you for just a minute and see if you can follow me along. But, but um, we know that, that family and parents uh, are a lot where kids derive their identity, right? And, and more than that, uh, and grandparents, and if you've got generations of people, you can kind of look at your kids and go, good, that came from grandpa over there. That's not me, luckily. Anyway, but you, you, know, you can kind of pawn off some stuff on people. Gene's dad would sit in a chair and he'd say stuff like, well, that's not a trait of a brown, because they were the browns, and uh, obviously we were the OSs. But anyway, so he could always like cast off everything onto, onto our side. But anyway, so here's, here's my family. My family is like, here on this side on the left, that is uh, our oldest daughter, and that's Jessica. And Jessica is 30, and Jessica is um, awesome. Jessica lives with us at our house. This guy's the guy that has, uh, you know, serious problems. Anyway, um, uh, that's me, and that's me, uh, sort of like that. And then uh, over here, okay, oh, this is Kaylee. And Kaylee is our middle one, and she is, uh, we're at, she just no, doesn't normally dress like that. I mean, okay, so that she's standing out a little bit. Anyway, we're at her graduation from law school in Albany, New York, which just happened in June. So this is, uh, you know, we've gotten older since then, but that's about as close as I could get it. Okay, anyway, so that's, that's Kaylee, and Kaylee is a uh, graduate and lives in New York. Um, and I didn't do, do a very good job on her hair, so... We better add a hair, and then she's the one that's got the, the lay. All right, there you go. Then this guy here is a whole bunch of trouble. This is, uh, this is our son, Kinsey. He's not really. He's awesome. Anyway, um, so Kinsey is a, a junior at um, uh, North Park College in Chicago, and this beautiful person here that's been married to me for longer than she probably would like to be. But anyway, the, this is Jean. And Jean is my wife, and again, an incredible person. Anyway, that's, uh, that's my family. Uh, so, some of them, and, and so that when we talk about our identity, we, we talk, there's a lot of different uh, components that go with identity. And when you think about your family, if your family was up on that picture, uh, you would be thinking about, you know, what they look like, but also you'd be thinking a little bit about their 
their personality. I think this is green. I'm sort of colorblind, so I've got some issues there. But these guys over here, they got sort of the jeans, green, kind of hazel sort of eyes. Jessica, on the other hand, Jessica and I have the brown eyes. So that's like a physical of physical attributes, that there's some similarities there. Boy, gosh, Jess needs a little more hair there, huh? Okay, anyway, um, and, and so there's physical attributes. We know that. Kinsey, on the one hand, he's got the red kind of hair thing going on here. I, at one time, had red hair. Anyway, Jessica has kind of a reddish hair, sort of like that, but hers is a little more auburn. The others have the uh, sort of, oops, the sort of the, the brown stuff that Jean has, Kaylee has a bit of that. So we have physical attributes, but we also have, um, we also have like their personality, right? Identity. So they identi we identify personality traits, and sometimes we don't like to admit that, but we do have some personality. And I was on the phone with Kaylee yesterday, and we were just talking about our family. We were talking about who's got what personality traits, you know, who's got the short temper, who's got the real patient part, who's, you know... Who, who got those things? Um, there's also the uh, there's also this. There's also not ju just the the personality stuff. There's also this. This is um, not a cloud. Does anybody know what that is? That's the brain. Okay. There's like there's the mental stuff. Okay. So I look at this group and I go, well, here's the here is the main beam right there. So there's Gene with the brains, and these guys, these guys here. They connected with that part. This guy's kind of the missing link, but these, they came from, so they got some intellectual capacity right there. So we know that there's, there's uh, obviously personality, there are um, physical attributes. Again, the good looks came like right there. So there's, the, there's that side, there's the, that, that kind of the physical attributes. There are um, abilities. Um, this is maybe one that they picked up a little bit from me, but but Jessica is a real art person. She can draw and paint and create and all that kind of stuff. Well, that, 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 really, didn't come from, that really didn't come from the brown side. That really came from the OS side. So Jessica got that more than the other two. But so there's some of those things, some abilities like that. There are uh, the mental thing we talked about. There are also emotional pieces to who we are. We derive our emotions a lot from what was handed down to us through the gene pool, right? And how we handle emotions and how we handle anger or how we handle patience or whatever those emotions that we have. How do we deal with some of those things? And then there are likes and dislikes, right? There are the likes and dislikes of life. The things that we enjoy, and some of those are learned, but some of those are a little bit innate that might come through different folks along the way. Well, I just, I just want to go, hey, this is like we draw our identity from somewhere. And we draw our identity a lot from our parents or the people who raised us. But we draw our identity from somewhere. When we begin to talk about the church, we want to make sure that we understand where does the church's identity come from? Where does it come from? And why is that so important to us as well? Identity. Hey, well, let me do a little kind of friendly survey with you really quick. But um, most of us have some connection with church because we're like, we're here. Anyway, so like how many people have, would go like, I have been a part of like at least two churches? 
All right. How many people go like, I've been at least five churches in my lifetime. I've been like five. All right. I've been like, I've been like maybe, hey, maybe uh, 10. All right. We're moving. All right. So there you go. I mean, you got like, and then you'd go, well, hey, this is, maybe this is your first church experience. Never been anywhere else. This is your first. Doesn't really matter. There are people who've never gone to church, but they have a perspective on church. They have thoughts about what church is. Now, we, we might call that doing theology, but they have a theology of the church. So whether you grew up in the church, whether you jumped in along the, along the route in your life at some point, whether you went to one church or 20 churches or somewhere in the middle, you have developed what I would call as a, you developed a theology of the church. You have developed how you understand or what you think about the church. You've begun to put a definition to that term church, Right? So, so all, almost everybody, whether they've ever even gone to a church or have been going for a long time, they've developed kind of a, a, a theology of what the church is. And some of that is skewed, and some of that is maybe more healthy, and we run into all kinds of stuff. Some of us have been a part of churches that were strong and good, and others of us have been a part of churches that were not so good and had factions and splits, or they were off in terms of what they were teaching, or they weren't connected. And so the identity of that place gets a bit confusing, doesn't it? Are you with me? You know what I'm talking about? You've been with people like that? Anyway, so, so we run into that stuff. And, uh, and that's, uh, that's important for us to realize that everybody has a perspective of the church, whether they spend much time thinking about it or not. They've, they've developed a, a, a definition in their heart and mind of what the church is and should do or should be. Anyway, um, one of the things in kind of working with churches and other organizations that I like to tend to ask them right off the bat is like, what is at the heart of who you are? What is your identity? What are you all about? What is it that's so important to you? And so I'm going to ask you to help me here, and we're going to do a little bit of uh, kind of thinking about that. But if we were to say, these things are really important. These, are, uh, these are things are really important to our understanding of what the church is at its core essential nature. So if we're talking about not just this church, but God's church, what are things that are really important to be at the core and center of the church's character? Okay, so we've got some, we got some Bible-based stuff going on. And I'll just tell you right now so that you don't have uh, huge expectations from me when we do this. kind. I can't spell. So anyway, that's okay. Anyway, my wife is like awesome. So when we're over here, spelling would be, that just missed that guy. Okay, good. All right, what else? Bible-based, what else is at the core of the church? What's important? Okay, okay, great. Good not to miss that one. All right, there you go. Good. <laughs> Okay, what else? What are some things that we think about? The church in action, what is it like? What does it do? What is it, what's it about? What's that? Open-minded. Okay, good. All right, okay. All right, what else? Grace. Did I hear grace? If I didn't, I should have. Okay. Uh, what was the other one? Friendship. Awesome. Okay, good. Okay, good. Community. Service. What's that, volunteer? Okay, I'll put service slash volunteer. Okay, what's that? Okay, all right. 
I'll just abbreviate that because I can't spell all that stuff. Okay, good. What else? Anything else? What? Unity. Good. Very good. Very good. And, and we probably could go on and on unpacking that. Discipleship, missions, you know, all that kind of I mean, We could go on and on. You know, the developing of people to become more and more like Jesus. What, I mean, we could just we could list, like, we could keep going and going and going. But there's a difference between how we see what we believe the church is about and how our culture sees that. Our culture doesn't necessarily see it that way. So our culture, as they reflect on their definition of what the church is, our current culture, what would our current culture say about the church? And what would they say about Christians, if we can use that language? What would they say? Judgmental. Judgmental. Slow down. (laughs) Why are these ones so much harder to spell? Okay. All right, hypocritical. What else? Money. Okay. And I don't know, you'll pick up on this, but as I like write stuff out, if I can't spell it, it just becomes a blur. Okay, it's like my wife's shopping list. Okay, what else? Okay. Okay. Kind of a, what's that? Clicky. I don't even know how you spell that, so... I think there's a Q or something in there. I don't, something that, that we know what that is. Okay, good. So, all right. So the list is very different, isn't it? The list is really different. I've cut just a couple of years ago. Um, there was a book that came out called um, called Unchristian, and in the book. Uh, Kinnaman wrote, David Kinnaman wrote the book, and David Kinnaman works for the Barna Group and does research. And they researched people in our culture, 16 to 29. And they asked them some basic things about how they saw Christians and Christianity. And this is what's on that list, which we did pretty good. Um, anti-homosexual, judgmental, hypocritical, too involved in politics, out of touch with reality, old-fashioned, insensitive to others, boring, not accepting of others' faiths, and confusing. I'd say we did pretty good on our list. Pretty good in terms of identifying those things, but, but the question is, how, how do we bridge that? How does the church help folks over here begin to experience this over here? And how do we over here begin to realize what's going on over there in the hearts of people so that we can, we can build some bridges there? Challenging, challenging. 
identifying amazing characteristics that can be barriers to people. Well, okay, enough of that for just right now. Hey, I want to ask you a kind of a, a major theological question, but in order for me to do that, I really want you to watch this video first. So why don't we throw that up there? So I, I love that. Anyway, so, okay, so here's my theological question for you today. It's like, are you a dog person or are you a cat person? All right. Wow. Okay, there we go. Got, got hostile in here really quick. Okay, how many people are like cat people? They love cats. They have cats. They wouldn't run over one if they had a chance. Okay, great. How many people are like dog people? Wow, amazing. How many people just assume neither of those were in heaven? Okay, great. All right, good. We, we like, uh, my kids like always wanted pets growing up, and Gene and I were like, you know, uh, we know what that means, and so we had goldfish. Anyway, so we had like a lot of goldfish and a lot of services in, anyway, so you know what I'm talking about. Now we have two dogs. Now we have two dogs. Anyway, and I, I just, uh, just setting the record straight here, I have, uh, you know, I have two dogs now. Um, we, uh, I never liked dogs. In fact, I always had an aversion to dogs. I'd like run from dogs. I like never liked dogs. If I saw one of those things up, lost dog, I'd go, all right, go for it, buddy. Anyway, I just like, uh, not, not that. But I realized that there was some radical shift that happened in my life when one day after we'd had our dogs for like a couple of years, I was driving down the street and I stopped at a stop sign and on the telephone pole over here was like, you know, lost dog. And I pulled up and I looked over and I said, and I, and I, I literally, Literally, I just went, oh. And then I went, what? What is wrong with you? You've crossed over. Anyway, so um, anyway, maybe I'm getting to be more of a, a dog kind of guy. But um, I've met a lot of people who, and probably you have too, who are in one camp or the other when it comes to sort of what faith is about. And they're either in one side or the other, and they accept one part of faith, but not the other part of faith. There are people who say things like, um, you know, it's, uh, I, 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 um, I love having a relationship. I, I have a relationship with God, but I don't want anything to do with the church. I love Jesus, and it's just Jesus in me. I really don't want to have anything to do with anything organized. I just have my time with God. You know, those kind of, have you met folks that are kind of like that? Maybe that's who you, maybe that's where you're at a little bit, but you know, it's like, I, I can't, I don't put, I won't put those things together. I don't want to. I've been disappointed. I've been whatever's happened, but it's like, it's Jesus and me, but I don't want to have anything to do with the church. And I go, wow. I was at a, uh, a, uh, a Polish festival. I'm not Polish, but I was at a Polish festival. We've gone for a few years. It's up in Roseville. It's really a lot of fun. Went to this Polish festival and got like these bratwurst sort of things, whatever, and, and sat down at a table. There weren't enough tables. We sat down to this, with this couple, younger couple, and this guy that I sat with, uh, we couldn't all fit around this little table built for about four, and he, he kind of really, his self took up about two. He was like 300 pounds, big guy, young guy, with his wife, big guy, Nico. And Nico was like tats everywhere, big tats, big arm, leg tats all over, Hebrew, words, names for God. And I engaged with him and had an incredible conversation with this guy, but he basically was like, I found God in prison, came and got out, radically changed my life, 
went to a church. The church sort of abused and used me, and I just, it's just like, I don't have anything to do with church. And I was like, whoa, how depressing is that? How much that person's going to miss out on? They're just going to totally miss out on what it means to be a part of a community of believing people, how important that is. Jesus, we, when we read in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus being the head. We just read that this morning. Jesus is the head for the body. You know, to separate those two things doesn't work very well. Jesus called the, the, the groom to the bride of Christ, the very bride of God. That's the church is the bride. How can you miss that and miss out on that? Wow. A few years ago, Willow Creek Church in Chicago did a, a study, and they studied thousands of churches, and they asked them to do these surveys, and they did these surveys, and it was, uh, it was called the Reveal Study, and they took churches of all different denominations, all different sizes, non-denominational, whatever those churches were, anybody could fill out the surveys, and they were trying to find out the impact of the local church on a person's spiritual growth. And following that study... There was a study within that called the focus study, and the focus study was, was, again, it was a little bit more focused, but the focus study was this. It asked this, what, what drives satisfaction with the church? What defines the church's unique role in spiritual growth, and what do people want and need most from the church? Good questions. What do people want and need most from the church? And five categories came out. Five categories came out of all the things they studied. They could boil it down to like five key things that people really want to experience in church. And here they are. They're great. You could write these down if you want to, but here they are. Five categories. Spiritual guidance. Spiritual guidance. People come, they want, give me some direction. Give me some help spiritually. Spiritual guidance. The second is belonging, community, belonging, being a part of people, of other people. The third is accountability and impact. I want to do something with my life and I want to be accountable to a group of people as I do it. The fourth one is ownership. I want to belong and I want to have ownership in what's going on. And the fifth category was serving. I want my life to count. I want to do something. Those five categories, that's what people are looking for in the church. I think they're pretty good. I think those are pretty good. All five of those, though, have at their core essential nature, they're all community-driven. They're not independent. They all rely on our relationship with other people to live them out. The church is a community organism, isn't it? It is, it is the place where we gather with like-minded people who study scriptures and study God's word, who learn to pray together, to be together, to belong together, to serve together, to grow together. We do that together. That's the community that God's designed. And this is a great place to be. I haven't been here that long, but I'm seeing like pockets of people gathered together. I've been able to experience that um, even in the just short time I've been here to be a, invited in to be a participant in some groups of people and what they're doing. Wow. That's because community is so essential and so important for us. Well, I want us to kind of look at that passage of Scripture that I read just a few minutes ago in Colossians. 
in that very first chapter, verses 15 and, and following on down. And in your notes, if you're following along, this is like what, this is kind of the number one piece. And that is, um, I call this the, the he is or the Christ is section of Scripture. Because one, the model of our, our true identity is that he is. The model of our true identity is that he is. Christ is. The model for our identity is who Jesus is. So listen to these. Verse 15, he is, he is the image of the invisible God. Let me just land the plane there for just a second. How is something the image of something that's invisible? How does that work? How is something the image of something that's invisible? That word image is the word icon. It's an interesting Greek word, but you know when we say about a person, boy, they, they look a lot like so-and-so. They have a strong resemblance to so-and-so. You could look at my family and you could say, well, maybe not from the drawing, but you could say, you could say wow, that, you know, Jessica has a strong resemblance to Jean. Or Kaylee looks like Scott. Where the heck did Kinsey come from? No, you, mean, you could say, you know, you could go, what? They, have a, they might have a strong resemblance. Let me show you something really interesting here. I think this is kind of cool. But um, I'm going to draw something for you. You see if you can figure out what that is. What is that? That's an ear, right? It's an ear, a basic ear. And uh, I've got a couple of those. And my kids do too. And on my left ear, there's kind of the inside piece that goes around like this. There is a little wave like that on my left ear right here. And I, I call that the mouse bite. Just always have called it that. Just I feel it right on that little ridge right there. And there's a little mouse bite. And this guy right here, he has that exact same mouse bite. The girls don't have that. For whatever reason, Kinsey got that mouse bite. That's because Kinsey, they all do, but Kinsey, Kinsey's got that because he's got my DNA, right? I mean, they all do, but for some reason, that little marking piece it's really obvious. That ear, that's like my ear. It's got that same little thing. When we talk about somebody having a likeness, a likeness, they might look like something. That's not what that's talking about right here. When it says, when it says this, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, it's talking about Jesus is the prototype. He is the essence in nature with God. He is the same. He's God. He's not the likeness of God. He's not kind of like him. He kind of looks like him. He thinks like him. He teaches like him. No, 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 no. He is. That's huge for us to get that. Are you with me? He is. He is. He is the image of the invisible God. We tend to think of things that we can see where he's talking about the nature of who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is. He is. By him, verse 16, by him all things were created. He is before all things. He is. He is before everything. 
He's before all things. And in him, I add this, he is the one who holds all things together. He holds the universe together. If you let him, he'll hold your life together. He is the one that holds things together. Uh, He is the head of the body, the church. That's good to know. It's good to know who's in charge. It's good to know that it's not the pastor, it's not the leaders, it's Jesus that's the head of the church. He is. He is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, overcoming death. He's alive. He's not dead. He's alive. He's the first. He's alive. He is the one that shed his blood on the cross and brought peace. Now, for the Colossians, some things had kind of gotten out of track and out of whack. And uh, they'd gotten off course. They'd kind of lost their bearings with their identity and their core central belief system. And Paul writes this letter to them to say, you know, it's not about kind of the, the old line stuff in the, uh, in the law because there were people trying to get them to engage in the law, engage in festivals and all kinds of things that were going on. And Paul was like, no, 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 no. No. He is. This is the key thing for you in, in Colossae. He is. Jesus is all you need for redemption. He is. So when, when they're getting off track, Paul is saying, this is the key thing for you to get. He is. And here's the second point. We're not. Because he is, we're not. Our identity, we're not. There's a verse, I call it the great transition, verse 21. It says, once you were alienated from God and you were enemies. That is strong language. Once you were alienated from God and you were enemies. Alienation and enemies. We got that? There's God and there's us. And we're alienated from God. We're enemies of God. Why? We're enemies because of, uh, in, in our minds, because of evil behavior. And so I could think, wow, wow, I wish I could say, that evil behavior stuff, that's not me. I wish I could say that. But that is me. That is you. I've got plenty of shortcomings, plenty of downfalls. I fall in the ditch. You fall in the ditch. We get derailed. We get sidetracked. We go all over the place. We have our minds wander all over the place. It drags us here and it drags us there. We're enemies. We're alienated from God. It isn't my, it isn't my heart's desire to be that way. My intent is to live for Christ. My intent and desire is to be the person God wants me to be. But I fall. I get sidetracked. Things don't always go the way I wish they'd go in my life. Anybody else understand what I'm talking about here? Yeah. You know, so uh, we do. It happens to us. We're human on that side. It's not the intent. It's not the desire of where we want to be. We want to follow Christ and we want to be sold out. And we are, but we do fall apart. We were enemies with God. We were alienated from God. That's because we're not. He is, we're not. There were serious accusations put on us. And you know what, friends? Those accusations were true. 
There were accusations about who we were and the way we lived and the way we thought and the way we didn't measure up. And those accusations were true. But here it comes. I love this. Verse 23. You could circle it, but now. But now. But now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight. Without blemish, and here it comes, free from accusation. You know, Jesus... Jesus doesn't do anything halfway, and he doesn't fail at any task. When the Bible tells us, when Scripture tells us about Jesus, and it reflects on things like that, and says that Jesus is the one that has freed you from accusation, that isn't a whim, that's the truth. Now, we have to live into that truth, right? But that's the truth. He doesn't do things halfway. When Jesus went to the cross, he died When his blood was shed, it was shed for you and for me. When he rose from the dead, he's the firstborn that we would also rise from the dead when we live in faith with him. Jesus doesn't do things halfway. He doesn't stay in the grave. He doesn't leave us in our accusations. He lifts us up because you and I need to be lifted up. I've been down too long. You've been down too long and too many times in life to not be lifted up. When Jesus said, I lift you out of your accusations, He is telling you the truth. He is telling me the truth and we get to live into that truth. We live into the truth of a God that loves us so much that He eradicates accusations. He even calls us holy in His sight, which we have no business being called. But we do that because we claim who Jesus is because He is and we're not. And we're free from accusation. We're lifted to freedom in Jesus. We're a community of free people. We make mistakes. We fall apart. We sometimes reflect the wrong things to the culture around us. But we have the hope that in Christ, the freedom that he gives us will produce these kinds of things with the power of God's Spirit in our life to move us to live for God and to be the people that he wants us to be. That's who Jesus is for us. He is, we're not. And here's the third point. The third point is that our hope is living into that identity. You and I need to live into the identity of our heavenly Father. You and I need to live into the identity of who Jesus is for us. And I love that. I love that. It says in verse 23, if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Why does Paul say that? Because Paul, just like I said a moment ago to the Colossians, was reminding them when people are trying to drag you away or put other constraints on you or build some other things that you need to do in order to, Paul is saying, no, no, no. Let's get that straight. The core of who you are is centered on who Jesus is and what he has done, and he is the only one that can do it, and he's done it for you, so live into it. And when you live into your faith strong and secure, That is the goal of our faith. We're not there yet, but we move toward that. We put down roots that hold us firmer. And the church, my friends, helps us to do that. Without the church, it's very difficult to not get blown over 
by other doctrines, by other issues, by other desires in our life. We need the church. We need people around us to hold us up, to challenge us to be deeper in our growth, to become more and more like Jesus because he is and we're not and we live into his identity. I thought about this a little bit and I thought, you know, what if, wow, what if we spread out the blueprint of your life? What if, what if I spread out on a big table the blueprint for my life? What if that was laying right out in front of you and you, you could see what God's design for you was? Not only for the church, but, but how you fit into the, to the, the family of faith, but also just who you are. Are, are, you, are you living into the identity that Christ has for you? Because that's the blueprint. The, the blueprint is, is exactly what Jesus has designed for you. And we may not know the future, and we don't know all the ins and outs of decision-making, but we do know, we do know that our identity needs to be firmly established so that when we look at the blueprint over our life and we can look back on things when we've made decisions with God, we've gotten stronger. When we've not made decisions with God, we've gotten sidetracked. We know that our strength comes when we keep our identity focused on the blueprint that God has designed for us. I love this passage that comes out of a couple chapters later in chapter 3 of Colossians. This is, the, this is what I think the, the, the blueprint of the church is. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I love that. It's who we're created and designed to be. Hey, why don't you pray with me? God, we, we come here recognizing that uh, we're definitely not perfect. And your intent for us is to find our wholeness in you. So today, Father, I pray that uh, your word would speak volumes into our lives. 
that we've been reconciled, we've been freed. Those accusations that we put upon ourselves or that others have put on us or that we just can't seem to get over, you've eradicated those things when we, when we lean into you. So today, Father, my prayer is that in our hearts, we would receive that freedom. We would receive that incredible encouragement to know that Jesus is, we're not, and our identity is taken directly from him. So God bless us today. May you move in our lives this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.